Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi everyone, this is Rohit from Life Self Mastery, and I'm excited to have Joseph Dolmani, who's a founding and principal at Thomson Reuters Ventures. Uh, Thompson Reuters invests into early stage enterprise technology companies out of the $100 million corporate venture fund. Uh, Joseph has done his MBA from Fordham School of Management. Welcome to the show, Joe. Thank you very much. Excited to be here. Awesome. So, uh, you know, you, you've been in, into, into the venture space for, uh, for, for quite a long time. Um, how, did, how did you get into, into, into this crazy world of uh, venture capital? Yeah, yeah. It's been a, a bit of a long journey for me. I feel like whenever anyone asks this question, you know, other folks that I've heard have like this really like serendipitous story that they, you know, founded this amazing company and then became an amazing investor. After that, I, I, my, my story is a little bit longer, a little bit more of a grind. Um, you know, professionally, I always knew that I wanted to, to work in, in venture. Um, I've, I've taken a very long time and sort of done all the things. Like if you were to read a book that said, here are the 10 things you have to do. I, I sort of tried to do all 10 of those things. So I, I worked at a startup, uh, did some consulting. I went back to school to get my MBA, focused on financial skills. I worked in product. I worked in strategy, did some M&A. Um, you know, got the corporate experience and then, you know, sort of when the opportunity hit me to, to, to join a, a corporate VC, um, it was kind of a situation where I couldn't, couldn't be told no, because, uh, you know, I had done all the things to, to prepare myself skills, skills wise to, to be in a position to, to, to do that. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's been, been about 10 years on that journey, but now I'm, yeah. I'm happy, you know, over the last about a year to, to be in a position to, to invest in, in startups. Interesting. And, you know, how did you get an opportunity with Thompson Reuters? Yeah, so uh, it was super interesting. So I, um, luckily, at the, at the time that I was doing my MBA, they had this summer associate program where um, you could uh, you'd spend your summer working for Thompson Reuters in, in a rotational program as part of, part of their, it's called, it was called the MAP program at the time. And, you know, I joined that in my summer between year one and year two of my, my MBA. And I, what I remember, the interesting, the funny story that I remember from that is that, you know, it, in, my, in my interview process, um, you had to sort of interview the winter before the, the summer that you started. And, and the day of my interview or, or it was a, like a blizzard. And um, so I went to, to do my interview and then, you know, I heard or read somewhere that, writing handwritten thank you letters was a good way to show your enthusiasm. I really, really wanted to work at Thomson Reuters. So yeah, in, in the blizzard, I had written like seven handwritten letters and I was like determined to get to, to the office. And I got to the office in the middle of the blizzard to hand in my handwritten letters. And they were like, well, nobody's here. It's a, it's a blizzard. He can't go upstairs. And I was like, all right, well, I'll just leave him with the, the security. And then I found out later that they already made the decision after you know before they had gotten gotten the letters but so it was a little little bit of a funny story but yeah i was lucky enough to to join tr uh from for my summer in between year one and year two and then i joined them full time in in the in the two-year rotational program after that working in different parts of the business been a super interesting opportunity you know i've been with the company now seven years and you know, it's the kind of company that if you work hard and like ask to do interesting things, they like work really hard to 
put you in a position to, to do those things. So I've been pretty, pretty grateful. Yeah, no, I, I, I love the story about handwritten letters. I think uh, listeners who want to get into into uh, into VC firm, they should uh, they should look look into your lesson. Um, and uh, you know, what are what are some of the core objectives of the fund? What's the thesis of the fund? Yeah, so um, I mean, you mentioned it up up top. It's a hundred million dollar enterprise technology fund. We're a financial focused fund, so we're we're focused on on returning the fund. The added benefit with us is that we're a strategic fund for the corporation, and and what that means is we invest in and around the markets that we operate in. So uh, legal tech, tax software, fraud risk and compliance, news and media, and then technologies that are highly applicable and interesting for those verticals like machine learning, natural language processing, task process automation, all things that that we have a strong thesis around as being central to the future of a professional. So the objective is to return the fund, but also invest in companies that um, are, are strategic to, to the future of, of, of the company and, and the markets that we serve and our customers. Um, you know, we're, we're kind of hands-on folks. So we like to, we like to work with the companies that we invest in. So a big part of what our team does is we, we work to drive the connections between the companies we invest in and, you know, the teams in the different parts, parts of the business. It's a big, big value add for us. Got it. And, um, uh, you know, uh, when it comes to corporate VC funds, uh, do you do you think they, uh, you know they are viewed in the same way as traditional VC, uh, or you know uh, I somehow sense the view that they they're not in the viewed in the same way? Uh, well, what are your thoughts on that, on this? Yeah, I mean it's it's an interesting question. I, I think a couple, couple of things. You know, I think when I take a step back and think about what I see in the kind of I'll call it the traditional venture space and versus the, the corporate venture space. I actually think both of those different groups are trying to be a little bit more like the other, right? So the more traditional VCs are actually just adding more to the scope of what they do. Some of them are building out development operations. Some of them are building out portfolio support, which is you know a longer term trend, but something that is becoming more prevalent. And I think they're, they're trying to do some of the things that actually a corporate VC is pretty well suited to do Right. Well, we have engineering teams, we have product teams, we have a lot of subject matter experts who can help us evaluate companies who can help us do some of the strategic things that we want to do when we're looking to make investments and accelerate the companies we invest in. Um, and then, you know, we're, we're investing off the balance sheet, right? So, you know, we don't have to deal with some of the stuff around capital calls and, and working with, with LPs. Like obviously we in, in our fund have the solo LP, we have Thomson Reuters, we have stakeholders in, in, in the corporation who, uh, you know, it's important that we, we operate with, but we don't have to worry about like, you know, like I said, capital calls and things like that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there, there are certainly, certainly differences, but um, you know, and, and on, you know, the corporate VC side, you know, one of our big objectives is to bring insight in, into the corporation. Uh, it's a big, big part of what we do, but we're all also working towards, you know, having, a, you know, a, a you know, uh, an, uh, an operating uh, mechanism that enables us to move fast independently and, um, you know, kind of operate at the speed of the startups that we're, we're investing in, which is something that the traditional VCs have kind of, you know, it's sort of native to the way that they operate as well. So that's, you know, on both sides, like I said, you know, kind of trying to, trying to take the things that the other does really well and incorporate them into, into your core model. Got it. And, and uh, you know, with, with the, 
where does the future hold for corporate VC? Do you, do you think there'll be an expansion of this capital source uh, in the next coming years, especially with, with big companies like Amazon and Apple also coming up with their own VC funds, corporate funds? Yeah. Um, I mean, hard, hard, to, hard to say what the future is. I, I think that there's a ton of value in, in doing it if, the, if a corporation's in the right position you have the right stakeholders bought in within the corporation. You have very clear objectives for why you have a, a corporate venture arm and what you're trying what you're trying to achieve with it. So for, for me, it makes it a, to me it makes a ton of sense why you know a corporation operating from a position of, of strength, looking to get access to, to new technology, new innovation, um, and and you know being willing to make venture bets to to do that. It makes a lot of sense why why would we do that? I, I I think you know ultimately I see it continuing to expand, especially when you know there are more and more examples of different companies that can do it well, um, and and you know the sort of reputation of, of those companies uh, continues to kind of get known in the market. And you know what what I actually hear from companies often is that they're actually looking for strategic investors. You know, uh, most of the companies that I that I speak to are, are looking for more than just just capital, and you know, a lot of you know corporations are you know oftentimes you know in a good position to be able to to bring that as long as you know they have a specific thesis, they're very targeted in in their focus in terms of you know the markets that they focus on, the technologies that they they know they want to invest in, so that they can bring a point you know a very strong point of view when when they're making an investment decision. Um, you know, which, which is something that we, we strive for. I think we do a pretty good job. We have a pretty good reputation in the market that we operate in, the markets we operate in from our customers for sure, and just the market more broadly. So, you know, with those conditions, I, I see it, I see it, um, I see it expanding. Of course, you know, just like in, in traditional VC, the corporations that try it and, and aren't able to, to do some of those things, they're not going to be as successful. And so, you know, some of that will, will fade away, but, but net net, I think mostly expanded. Got it. Got it. And you know, I, I've seen a lot of startups uh, hiring, you know, head of corporate developments. You, you've been, uh, you know, head of, you've been, uh, you know, part of corporate development for Thompson leaders. Uh, why, why do you think, you know, a lot of startups are hiring uh, corporate development guys and, and, you know, are there any signals when, you know, a startup should start hiring? Uh, somebody in the corporate development team to uh, to acquire maybe more companies. Yeah, I mean, so it's interesting. I, I I don't know that I have observed this directly. You know, I mean, I think maybe more so happening in some of the the later stages than than what I generally look at. But that being said, I quite like the idea of thinking about M&A a little bit earlier than might be the consensus of what the right time is, which I'm, not, I'm actually not sure what the right time is, but I, th I think thinking about it on the earlier side of, of things, if, if you're trying to establish a market position and there are smaller technology companies out there that you could purchase along the way that can help accelerate you that align with your roadmap, technology is somewhat compatible and, and not going to take a ton of effort to, integrate or have to re-architect. Um, I actually like, like the idea. We just see so many companies that when, you know, from my vantage point, you see companies that are solving, you know, very specific problems, which is really important at the early stages, especially 
to, to being able to be successful getting traction with customers. But, you know, there's an, uh, you know, companies that are often solving really important adjacent problems. And I, sometimes I just want to say, you guys should, uh, you guys should meet and, and think about how you might combine, combine efforts and, you know, some of what we, we do on the partnership side. So, you know, I think, you know, if I were talking to a founder and trying to say, you know, we're trying to talk about what might be important on the corporate corporate development side, I might say, start with partnerships, mm. uh, start with partnerships because it helps you establish a cadence of looking into the market, working with people and ultimately could lead to, you know, a, a position of strength to, to potentially be an acquirer as, as you mature. And, and it's kind of one of those things where it's the right time when you kind of feel it's the right time organizationally, which I know is a little soft, but um, you know, I think it's, it's probably hard to, to say exactly what the right time is. Yeah, no, absolutely. absolutely. And you, you did mention about acquisitions. Um, so, you know, especially when it comes to late stage startups, when, when uh, uh, how should they assess the, you know, attractiveness of acquires and, uh, you know, what's, what's the framework to, to acquire a company? Yeah, I mean, so it's, a, it's a good question. I, I think the way that I like to think about it is, um, you know, does, does the acquisition accelerate what you're trying to do? Right. And there's a couple there, you know, there's plenty of plenty of ways to frame that up, but you know, some of the ways to sort of think about that is, you know, like what's the most efficient use of capital, right? Like if you are going to try to develop something organically, but by doing that, it limits your capacity and bandwidth and you have a comparable capability or, there are some folks in the market that you know about that have a specific set of expertise that it can help you do that faster. You have to sort of evaluate the cost and time that it will take you to develop that capability organically versus just, you know, paying to, to take that in inorganically through, through that acquire. So, you know, it's a sort of classic build, build buy question. And, you know, I think it, it, it ultimately comes down to the product strategy uh, and the roadmap and what your target customers value the most, what you want your core competency to be and what's okay to be um, complementary to, to that core. Right. And you, and you kind of want to prioritize and build the things that you think are going to be your core differentiators. And, you know, you can, you can think about acquiring or acquiring things for things that are supplemental to that. Today I have an interesting stat for you to denote that the founder of beautiful lives Increase the social media presence by 10x. They managed to publish consistently and effortlessly using a robust social media management tool called Social Pilot. Social Pilot is a cost-effective social media tool that helps businesses scale their social media marketing efforts. Use lifestylemastery.com slash socialpilot to get a 14-day free trial. And, you know, especially when it comes to, you know, talent acquisition, uh, what, what are the uh, essential characteristics of individuals uh, when you're looking into, you know, uh, in these acquire situations, uh, because a lot of these acquire situations, you you actually taking the entire team along with you. Uh, so, are there are there any characteristics you look for uh, when when you're looking to uh, you know acquire a company? Well, so I mean, couple couple things there, and I think there are specific things that we look at for acquiring or investing in a team. And then there are specific things that we look at for acquiring or investing in, in a company. Right. Um, and obviously there's, there's an overlap there, but I'll try and take them one at a time. I mean, when, when it comes to the team, 
we like to see, you know, very, you know, assuming it's a capability buy, which in, in most cases it is when we're thinking about, you know, Aquahire, we want to see specific expertise. We want to see relevant experience solving similar problems, right? It doesn't have to be in the exact space, but, you know, something that is, is, is similar, like, you know, enterprise technology, but in a different vertical is fine. Um, you know, the expertise is, is, um, somewhat, somewhat fungible in, in a lot of those cases, but, you know, specifically a couple of things about like founding teams that I think are, are super important, especially on the technical side, having had some sort of experience where they felt the problem that they're trying to solve or, or have experience translating customer problems to, to suit solutions, something super important that we look at. So having, you know, specific, specific expertise in that regard, um, because if you sort of like felt a problem like yourself, then you kind of, you're pretty well suited to, to try and solve that problem or, or at least have a really strong understanding of what the problem is and where it kind of lies in. So, you know, that, that you know, having what we call it founder market fit, right? So yeah. having a founder that's specifically well suited to solve the problem that they're, they're trying to solve. And then the, the other thing that I think is, is super helpful that I look for pretty often is, just clarity of thought, right? So the ability to articulate the customer problem that they're solving, how their solution solves that customer problem, and even being able to have the kind of mental plasticity to talk about different aspects of the business. So being as fluent in the technical aspects of the product as they are in, you know, some of the financial details of, of the business, like they can tell you, you know, down to, you know, very specific metrics, what the current state of the business is, how many customers they have, how many customers they added last month, how much revenue they were able to, to get on board, where that came from. Was it new customer acquisition? Was it expansion of existing customers? Just, you can, you can tell when there's someone who's kind of firing on all cylinders and, and it's usually a pretty, pretty good signal for, for success uh, in, in being able to build and scale business. For, for like larger scale investments or, or M&A, you know, we're, we focus a little bit more, you know, we focus on the founding team and, and bringing that in. And we think about it in a couple of different perspectives for M&A, you know, TR is always looking to bring people into the business that can take on bigger roles within the company. And we also look to take some of our best people and put them in to the companies that we acquire. Uh, we think it's important to drive cross culture contamination, maybe contamination is not the right word, but cross culture, culture molding, um, or, or mixing. Uh, but you know, we're very metrics driven when it comes to, to both M and A and, uh, investing in, in the fund. So we're, we're looking for companies that are fast growing companies. Um, you know, especially on, on the VC side, when we look at a company, we're looking for, you know, software companies that are growing fast, have a differentiated product, um, you know, being efficient from a, an investment standpoint um, and a sales efficiency standpoint. Um, we love to see net revenue retention uh, at, a, at a sufficient level in the 110, 20, 30, 40% range. Uh, yeah, I mean, so, so we're very, very metrics driven when we, when we, when we look at investments, we think about the companies we want to invest in. Interesting. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think the frontal market 
uh, fit and clarity of thought is, is really important. Uh, and you know, the founding teams uh, can add add a lot of value to you know what the uh, acquirer is is trying to build. Um, uh, especially when it, when it comes to CEOs, when they're they're trying to uh, you know add the corporate development team, are there any uh, are there any mistakes they make when they're looking to hire uh, corporate development guys? Uh, that's something they should be should be aware of. Like should mm-hmm. should they should they hire somebody from a banking background or an investment banking background or uh, you know from or like from a consulting background? Yeah, I'm not sure it matters a ton. I, I think. What is important is, you know, there are a couple of things that are, that are important. I mean, you, you have to have a technical background to some degree, I think, to be successful and to be able to operate at a, a, a good cadence. So whether it's consulting, investment banking, or, you know, getting the skills in any other number of ways that you can get those skills, I think, it, I think it's fine. You know, what I think is probably most important is, having someone who is willing to learn an industry and like, you know, some expertise in the, in, in, a, in a specific industry that you want to go after and, and acquire in is important. But what I think, you know, the, the ability to learn that market, understand the market dynamics, who are the acquirers, who are the companies getting acquired? Is it a fragmented market? Are there a couple of incumbents that are, um, that are, represent a majority of the market share that are rolling up the smaller players. Like what, what the ability to understand that market from both a kind of investment side, but then also from a technology side, like what is happening in the market that's driving market growth? Um, what is happening in, in the market that customers are happy with where are customers seeing gaps, the ability to kind of break that down and understand where a market could be going super, super important. So you know, the technical skills, the ability to break down market like that. And then you have to, I, I think one thing that is super important is being able to be able to come at the conversation from all of those different angles, whether it be the market, the product, the technology, uh, the, the customer angle, and being able to have a conversation from any one of those angles with the various stakeholders in the business to explain to them where they sort of fit into this M&A and then integration equation. Um, you know, I think, I think that's the invaluable piece that separates someone who's, who's good from, from someone who's great. Got it. Interesting. And um, I, I want to understand about, about unit economics, especially when it comes to enterprise software companies. How do you, how do you assess uh, unit economics uh, when you're looking into investing into those companies? Yeah, I mean... <clears throat> You know, there's there's some degree of, of pattern recognition, uh, I guess, that we look at. But you know, we 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 have our we have our own playbook on on this stuff. So you know, we're we're basically looking at, at this Series A stage. We're looking for indicators of product market fit. So we like to see a sufficient level of revenue, right? We 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 we're investing in in a way that we want to make sure our company gets from. Series A and is able to grow to a place where the company has a, a an attractive profile for the next investor for us to potentially do a follow on. So we want to see accelerating growth, accelerating traction. We want to see ARR and so annual recurring revenue accelerating, right? Monthly recurring revenue accelerating month over month, and we want to see the product being pulled out of the the company and, and them having to hustle to keep up with demand and not having too long sales cycles and and, and and taking a really long time to convert 
uh, leads to, to customers. Um, one of one of the you know obviously we look at retention both from a gross and net dollar uh, retention standpoint. We look at customer customer retention. You know, we look at all the sales efficiency stuff, right? So um, yeah, customer acquisition costs. Uh, how much? How how long it takes to get paid back from that? We look at magic number, so new RR, uh, new ARR uh, in a period divided by the sales and marketing expense from prior period, and you know, ideally for for that, you want a number that's greater than one. Okay. Um, you know, you know, we, I think there there's generally a perception that sometimes in the early stage we care less about margin. I don't think that's consistent. I, I care a lot about margin. I think it's okay if the current state of the business, the margin is, is not where you want it to be, but I think you want to understand that as the business scales, the margins get to a place where uh, the, the business will, will become sustainable, profitable, and generate free cash flow. Uh, I, I feel like that should be not overly controversial, but, but maybe isn't. Uh, maybe even more so now, but maybe over the last few years was not as much at the forefront of what was on folks' mind. So, yeah, margins margins important. One, you know, we want to make sure there's capital efficiency, and, and you know, we, we love to see engagement in 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 the product themselves. So, we always talk to customers when we we when we look at investments. We want to hear what they're doing with the product, how they're using, how often are they using it? Um, is it daily? Is it monthly? Is it like core to a work? flow or is it somewhat adjacent to, to what someone is doing in their daily life and their daily tasks. So, you know, it's kind of, kind of that playbook that we kind of try and fit every company that we look in and into and try and evaluate them based on, you know, what we, what we see as, as attractive in those different categories. Mailman is a email assistant that shields you from unimportant emails, minimizing interruptions and making your days calmer and more productive, you can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM, uh, which gives you the benefit of 15% off for the first year on the annual plan, uh, which already has 20% discounted compared to the monthly plan. So you can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM. Very interesting. And uh, uh, especially when it com well, comes to the burn multiple, uh, you know, uh, how, how does the burn multiple change uh, with, with the stages of the business, you know, especially when they're looking at raising Series A and Series B, uh, do you, uh, how how would you advise founders on you know what should be the burn multiple? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I guess what I would say is the way the way I would think about that is you should be managing your business to to achieve things that are specific and measurable, right? So I think, I think what I would, and, and, and what I'd also say is the, the best person to determine what those are, are generally, you know, the, the management team and, and the founder right. of the company. So I would say be very intentional about the goals that you set to hit right. and raise as much money as you need to reach those goals and make sure that those goals like match up with each other so that, the profile of the business is attractive and not just like for the next investment, which obviously I care about a lot and think is, is really important, but also as a way to attract talent, right? Like 
you, if you're going to be, you know, operating a company that's, you know, you're issuing some equity options and grants, you, you want to make sure that valuation is in line with, with those options and, and grants that you're issuing and that, um, you know, the, the company performs well so that those options turn into to value for, for your employees so you're able to keep them. Um, so, I mean, you know, there, there's, there's all different types of benchmarks out there, but, but I think the kind of more important thing is, you know, be intentional about what you plan your milestones to be, communicate what those are, and then use the, use the money that you think you need to achieve those milestones. And if you, if you, if you do that and you execute on it, it should be just fine. And especially during these uh, times of, you know, uh, market downturn, um, uh, how, how, how would you advise founders on aggressively to, you know, cut down burn uh, so that, you know, they could have a longer uh, uh, free way to, uh, to work on the business? Yeah. Um, well, I guess... You know, some of what we were saying just in, in the beginning is, you know, in, in the earlier stages of, of company building, I'm not sure how relevant the current economic climate is to building companies. Like, I, I mean, it's obviously relevant because we're all living in, in that world, but I think there, there are pros and cons of there being, um, you know, a, a you know, bull and bear market cycles, right? Like in, in a bull market, it's hard to find good talent, right? Because, all that talent's being sucked up by, um, you know, all the, 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 the different companies that are getting all times, all, all different types of funding and growing rapidly and all that. So, um, and, you know, it's hard to get mind share, right. Um, with, with everything going on, but in, you know, in a bear market, some of that stuff starts, starts to loosen up. And as you build your company, you're building it through adversity. So, you know, you're kind of inherently building a company that is, uh, resistant to, uh, you know, negative, negative, you know, economic outlook. And so, you know, these things always seem, seem to happen in cycles. And so, you know, when, as you're building a company, if you remain focused on, you know, building something that the world values, building something that solves a problem that customers want, um, you know, I, I don't know that current economic climate is going to, to stop you ultimately from, from being successful especially if it's something, you know, technology related, right. You know, one of the things that becomes more important with inflation is the need for productivity. Right. And so technology is a massive driver of productivity. So, you know, if you're building something that's going to have to help with that, even in kind of uh, negative economic times, there's, there's still going to be demand demand for that. Right. Right, right. Interesting. And um, uh, Joe, I quickly want to do the top three. What's your favorite business book? Yeah. Um, so I'm a, I, I, I spent a lot of time reading business books. I know some people some people say that they never read a business book. I love them. Right. So I spent a lot of time there. I think that the one that has been most impactful to me, the one that I enjoy the most is The Hard Thing About Hard Things by, by Ben Horowitz. Yeah, no, I think I think that's a, that's a super book. Uh, and you know, if you could go back in time when you when you started working with Thompson Reuters, what is one thing you would have focused on or done anything differently? So, I, I think I think the one thing that I'm always jealous of is people's ability to like create something out of just typing things into an interface. So I think I would 
spend a little bit more time learning how to code. Um, I'm like, it's something I've been kind of working on in my spare time. And, you know, it's like one of those things, like you kind of pick it up and put it back down. Um, but you really need to kind of like practice to be good and like create anything of value. So I think that if I were to do it over, I would, you know, spend a little bit more time on, you know, learning, learning Python. Yeah, no, I, I think it was uh, true for me as well. I don't know how to code. Uh, the only thing I knew, know how to do is to, you know, uh, work on my WordPress uh, account. But, uh, but uh, do you have any favorite online tools? For example, uh, Gmail, Slack, Zoom. Okay, this is going to be boring, but my favorite, my favorite tool is, is Excel. And I'm not going to apologize for it, but <laughs> that's that's... My favorite. I, I try. I honestly tried to come up with a better answer than that, but I love Excel. So, yeah, no, I think it's a pretty useful tool. Um, I, I need to learn how to how to work on my Excel skills better. Uh, we'll take some take some tips from you, uh, Joe. What is the best way people can reach out to you and know more about Thompson Reuters? Yeah, so you can come to uh, www.tr.com backslash. VC. Uh, and so that's, that's our, that's Thompson Reuters Ventures website. You can shoot me an email at joe.dormani at tr.com, or you can check me out on Twitter at Joe Dormani underscore VC. Awesome. We'll put that in the show notes. Uh, Joe, th thank you so much for taking our time speaking to us. I, I really enjoyed my conversation with you. Yeah. Thanks very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Really enjoy the conversation. Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com. <laughs>